today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you are currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. All that and they're shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will refund you, no questions asked. Mack Weldon is a great holiday gift. Let me tell you something. Mm. People do not do the underwear refresh enough. And it, it is a forward thing to I don't know if like you and I are in a spot where I could give you underwear. Wow, you mean like pre-worn? I, but, but if anybody in my life is, it would be you. No, not pre-worn. Underwear. I don't know what you're getting at. No, here. I'm saying like I would just gift you some Mack Weldon underwear because it's just oh. like a really like Thank you, man. That's solid. This is going to work. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your purchase using the promo code WATCH. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, who's going to ride his wild horses? It's Andy Greenwald! Oh, you know it's a good day when the Bono accent comes out. I love breaking out the Bono accent, sir. (laughs) It just comes to you. Oh man, Andy, today we are going to be talking about U2 and Mm -hmm. their new album, Mm. Songs of Experience. Mm. And then other than that, it's a grab bag. I want to hit Netflix's decision to move forward Mm -hmm. with House Mm -hmm. of Cards Sans Kevin Spacey. Weird choice to to recast the role with Christopher Plummer. <laughs> By the way, would be a great show. It probably would, would be. Watch. Um, and we're gonna hit on some other stuff. But you have a a yeah. mystery. We're beginning. We're to doing start some, the show. We've with. never we've never done this before. But I feel like we've been podcasting now for almost six years. Uh huh. And I feel like we we can we can play around with the format a little bit. And, sure. and generally, yeah, we I are think, kind of formalists when you think about it. <laughs> strict formalists. We really plan for yeah. these things. And so I wanted to try something where I deliver some news to you on mic. And so people, the people, the listeners can get... on camera too, man. Are we? Oh, which is my camera right now? Okay. Can we, uh, so we can really see your reaction in real time. Okay. You look nervous. I'm not nervous. I'm actually like prepared to be... Appalled? (laughs) Underwhelmed. No. Here's the thing. Chris, the, over the weekend, people know that, you know, our lines of communication stay open during the week. Yes. We, we, we talk, we chat. Uh-huh. We, 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 occasionally we even see each other. Saw you on Saturday. And um, Friday, though, uh, I wrote you a text. And I said, um, I don't even remember what I'm supposed to be watching anymore. I have, a, I have some free time. Yes. Uh, the kids were asleep. Yeah. Uh, my wife went out. And then you gave me some kind suggestions which i ignore that's like you can keep watching godless yes yeah you said maybe you want to watch some horse training yeah um i did something else it's the holiday season i did something for you no i did something for us i watched ozark what you did <laughs> yes i did oh my god this is so much better than i thought it was gonna be I told how you. many did you watch chris i've seen four episodes of <laughs> yeah. the netflix television show ozark i be on a podcast with you and here's what i want to say yes what (laughs) yes what did i do wrong to make you think our relationship was so broken that you couldn't pull an executive card and say that i had to watch ozark hit pause man everybody who's in the control room may god and our listeners is my witness have i ever undersold ozark you said two things to me you said two things to me well, you said one thing and you did another thing. One thing you said was, you probably won't like the pilot. Yes. Have we met? <laughs> I just, no, you don't <laughs> like pilots. And you don't, you, you, I thought you might think it was just too crazy. This is like a pilot that went into a room with Colin Farrell it's circa True Detective Season 2. It's two of a show in one episode. Can we intercut this podcast <laughs> with the Ray Velcoro <laughs> drug montage? Because that's the pilot of Ozark. Yeah. Why would I not like that? Second, you were then you backed off. I was a little resistant. I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. You said I wouldn't like it. And then you backed off. And here's what I need. You need to push me in front of that train. Yeah. House of Cards style. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because here's the thing about this show. It might not be good. Oh, but but it might be great. (laughs) It's great. It might be amazing. Yeah. This is one of the most. I'm like, you guys don't understand. He's My blood right pressure sh- spiked when you did this. This is a fascinating thing. It is 
wild to watch this show. I just spent most of Friday yes. wondering yes. whether or not, like, how high I could feasibly put Ozark <laughs> without having my, like, my internet access banned. Right. Like, I, I you know, I'm in my top list. ten. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where did you end up with it? Three. But it, but it's creeping up a little bit more, I, right? I would say, I'll look you in the eye as your one of your best friends, if yeah. not your best friend, and tell you that I enjoyed watching Ozark more than Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say more things happen in Ozark. Yeah. We could talk about this in one of two ways. I, uh, I've watched... Just, like, I gotta just see what happens in the first four episodes. So just, you, you keep talking. What I'm happens? Just... Literally everything <laughs> happens. There's nothing left to happen. The next four episodes could, they could just be on a boat. Or, or it just could be Julia Garner doing dishes. Yes. That's fine. There's more than enough has So happened. you ended it for yeah. where Jason Bateman explains how to money launder that's while f- Can't You Hear Me Knocking is playing. That's the beginning of four. Yeah. That's just how it starts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot to say here because we could talk about the specifics of it. And I feel like a lot of people who listen to this podcast have watched it on their own by their own free will. And we don't want to spoil it for those who haven't. Maybe those who are like waiting we're on for me to the, say we're it. We're in the spoil Ozark zone. But what I really want to say, before we go into the spoil Ozark zone, I want to do one very chaste, boring, un-Ozark thing okay. when I talk about it, which is sometimes I, I say on this podcast, um, put on your industry hat and it's fun to watch things to learn about how TV is made. Sure. If you ever, if you have that hat in your closet, take that hat out, do three lines of speed, <laughs> don't really do drugs, and then watch the pilot because, weirdly, I, the reason I didn't watch it was because the, the 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 general layer of static I heard about it without reading too much about it. Because in case I did watch it, I didn't want to spoil it. Was that it was basically like it was just so derivative of Breaking Bad, so attempting to be like this broken man, difficult man in a difficult situation mm-hmm. story that has become very played out on TV. Um, what I didn't realize in watching the pilot is that it may actually be a way forward for television. I don't know if it's the right way forward. By doing these kind of Nerf football versions of P- of prestige television no, shows? No, by just literally Jackson Pollocking every fucking crazy yeah. idea all at once. Right. But Having actually, six character turns in two episodes. But to be fair, it that actually sells it short. Yeah. Because weirdly, in the midst of this cocaine fever dream that is this show... There is some sensible plotting. There is some attention paid to character or family dynamics yeah. enough to care. And then there's a subplot about the uh, uh, FBI agent who's like Michael Shannon Light. Yeah. Just 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 getting full head jobs and like thinking about stuff, <laughs> delivering monologues yeah. with his shirt off. And Harris Eulen walking around with an and oxygen ha- tank. And then yeah. Harris Eulen is in the show. Like there is definitely um, too much just too much yeah. but i think that but all shows can, have too much that's television yeah. yes i would rather have too much in this way i would rather have this party go for a little too long than have a little too than have too little of it like so did we need the ex-lover fbi agents probably not right i mean it's just right. an extra thing did we need harry i found Ullin's the relationship ass? between the fbi agent and the and the bait salesman quite tender though yes right right <laughs> see that's the thing it always pivots but just before we even get into it, like the, the way the pilot works, which is to say, I, I don't even know if it works. So let it's me, I, craziness. It's funny that you should say this because uh, one of the reasons why I responded the way I did when you were like, what should I watch right now? Mm-hmm. Is that I have been, I, I have beginnings fatigue right now. Yes. I'm having a hard time about. getting worked up to start a story from the beginning be like oh and this is how we're introduced to this person and how will they interact with this person and Mm -hmm. how will they interact with that person and just like that kind of feeling of okay i know kind of where we're going and i wish we could just skip ahead a couple of steps yep ozark takes the steps up to the top of a condominium building Mm. and throws them off the balcony it does and you are just so deep inside of this story so fast the entire premise of ozark which is that jason bateman has been laundering money for the mafia for, no, the, for, no, the, for the drug yeah. mexican drug cartel is the thing that you should find out midway through or at the end of season one and it should be a huge moral crisis mm-hmm. for the main character that he's doing this and it has to be because his daughter is sick or because of something mm-hmm. he is just a guy who is trying to play the odds mm-hmm. he's not that broken up about Working for the cartel. No, that never seems to bother him whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and 
the the level of like I am being pushed off the I'm the Wiley Coyote going mm-hmm. right off the cliff mm-hmm. and I'm like it's that is that shot of Wiley Coyote off the cliff is the place that this show exists. Yes, that is the tone of this show, and I respect the hell out of it for it. You are right. The entire first season of a TV show, and I don't mean a TV show like Hill Street Blues era. I mean a TV show now. Yeah, would be the first fifteen minutes of the pilot, and when you talk about fatigue. When we be, see the re, the relationship in the first f- five minutes of between Jason Bateman and his partner at the dare I say ill fated financial management <laughs> company that they are running early on, the fatigue comes from seeing the road being paved in front of you. Yeah, I get the dynamic between these guys. That this guy's a loudmouth and an alpha, and Jason Bateman takes it and ends up the one who do, who's doing the work. Yeah, we see how this is going to Charity play out. Charity was like very big about how this is a Justin Charity called in a while back and yeah. was like, "This is a show for cucks." By the way, I was on that podcast. Yeah. I was probably just, just checking my menchies because I was not going to come watch the show with you guys. Um, let's just say that version of the show ends in a, in a hail of bullets yeah. early on. It's let, Let's talk Bateman. Did you get for, to, should we did talk you get Bateman to, for a second? I want, I want, can I just ask you a really quick question? Let's do Bateman. You're right. Let's do Bateman. Well, I, I, just to say he's great. But what's really interesting about it is I, when I was watching the pilot, I was like, he's not only delivering a very good performance in this. He is – whoever is directing him is – Bateman is. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I mean, to. Bateman directed some of it. Whoever is directing him understands how to use him in a way. Yes. Someone who we are, we are familiar with in a certain way. Someone whose skills are the slow burn, the reaction, being the straight man. Someone who will look at this guy who is – when he's shot in close-up, like you know, he's a handsome guy. He look, he's, a, he's been an actor for a long time. He has a, like a typical Hollywood actor bird body with mm-hmm. like remarkably good head of hair. But they shoot him in the frame where he looks kind of small and puny, yeah. especially compared to these more muscular guys. Yeah, he runs also into. he dresses and in very flat colors, like earth tone, kind of like just really like – he looks like a modern-day accountant. Like and they then, do a very good job yes. of flattening his – visual representation so that his person and his personality which is you know i've seen some people be like oh he's kind of on the spectrum but i don't think he is i think he's whether he's a sociopath or not i think you could make you could have a whole debate about yeah but it's an incredible performance because most people i mean you saw cranston ring every bit of marrow from Mm -hmm. walt's transition Mm -hmm. bateman starts at beyond the point of no return yes he's already done and 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 to what you said bateman directs it so he has a real sense of himself. He seems to have a real sense of what this material is and what it can be. Yeah. And there's a sense of control to the whole thing. And this guy, Bill Dubuque, who wrote it, also wrote The Accountant, he which did. is another like low-key uh, internet favorite for not necessarily the reasons you think, but then maybe those are the reasons he thought all along. I mean, the show exists on a spectrum, and it's not the spectrum you were referring to in terms of the main character, but the spectrum of, is this, is this bullshit? Yeah. Does it matter? And the answer to the second question, I'm pretty sure, is no. Because look who you have here. We have Laura Linney here. We have Julia Garner, who I love, who's just terrific. Jordana Spiro is really good. Jordana Spiro is great. Did you get to the, Peter Mullen yet? The, Did he show up? He hasn't even shown up yet. Okay. The, the, the kids are well cast. Yes. And the attention paid to them is sufficient. You know, it, it is a very rare thing in any TV show where I find myself happy to see B and C characters early on. So it's just... It, I can't believe I'm saying this because I want to say that half of the season of the show that I unjustly ignored um, should be studied yeah. for how to make TV in the Netflix era. Because I do feel that any, not anyone, but a majority of the people who study this will take all the wrong lessons from it. It's so easy for this to be wrong and misinterpreted, so easy that I misinterpreted it without watching it. Yeah. Because I thought it was a different thing. But it is hella entertaining and you want to watch to see if the coyote looks down and falls. It that has, is part of the pleasure of watching the show. It yeah. is pleasure. I was thinking about it yesterday. And and when I was relieved to see the Eagles losing, <laughs> I knew I could squeeze out another episode before I dropped yes. a surprise on you. Yes, that's but, good. But let's also just say that I saw you on, on Saturday evening and I was a little distracted. I feel like I didn't put in a good social showing. Because of Ozark. And I think it's because all I wanted to say to you was that I had watched Ozark, but I didn't. So I so now you know both what why I was a little bit maybe a little bit spacey. Everything also, I mean, like they just did such a good job. They did such a good job at the locations. And I, I want to talk about cards, but I think one of the the hallmarks of these Netflix shows mm-hmm. has really been their huge amount of 
money that mm-hmm. they spend on sending places, sending shows to the place that they want to shoot. Mm-hmm. So even if it's they're shooting Hawkins, Indiana in Atlanta for Stranger Things, they do a good job of like creating a space, and it really does not yeah. feel like you're in the back lots of Burbank. And the the setting and the locations of Ozark, I think, go a long way. If this was if this entire show had been set in Chicago, I don't think it would have been. No, although Chicago looks great in the pilot. Chicago looks really and, interesting. And, yeah. and I and I think also this is a um, it's a buyer's market, a viewer's market mm-hmm. for television. And little things that I used to uh, write off, nitpicks that I would say aren't valid, yeah, have suddenly become valid. And one of them is location and just the physical production, the space, how it looks, you know. I, I was of the opinion that, you know, some networks had more money than others and things could be good regardless. But people have been asking me to, to talk about the last season of Halt and Catch Fire. And one of the reasons I'm struggling talking about it is because the things that I love about that show are present in the last season. Yeah. Great performances. How wonderful. What a gift to have a show that is really just about the interaction of these characters in a certain, in a, in a period of time. But one of the reasons why I struggled with the final season and one, the main reason we can talk about this maybe in our year in TV podcast that we're going to do next week is there's just a remarkable lack of stakes, which is not the problem. Yes. And conflict. No. Which is not the problem with Ozark. No. Um, Ozark but, is basically like wealth management scandal. Yeah. yeah. But one of the problems with Halt and Catch Fire is that it is it, it, it moved for the third and fourth season from it was in, uh, in Texas uh-huh. to supposedly to the Bay Area, to San Francisco and Silicon Valley. It films in Atlanta. The outskirts of Atlanta do not look like Northern California. Yeah. And because of that, there's something flat and removed from the show because we are now in this glorious, rich era where you see you see it's all part of it, is what I'm saying. And that does <clears throat> matter in Ozark as well. It, it knows that the setting is a character and it knows how to take advantage of that. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird... This is a weird time. You were, what was your experience making your top ten list and this conversation, this argument you're having with yourself Pure about pleasure. whether Pure okay. pleasure. I, I don't feel like this has been a, a year of the envelope being pushed, mm-hmm. with the exception of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for the things that really made me happy and really made me happy to be watching television, even if the content that I was watching was dark. I was like, this is what I want to be doing. And I think I I felt over the course of the year, and, you know, I I think a lot of it has to do with the outsized place that political drama takes in my life now. And I think for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it's like you're just reading about uh, the country in a way that you didn't four years ago. Um, Maybe if that's if that happens to be I think anybody is probably like caught up in what's going on. I find that my brain is just programmed differently. Mm -hmm. So I want different things from television Mm -hmm. than I did a few years ago. And that being said, I think that there have been these innovative things, whether you're talking about innovations and things like BoJack, which is at once an animated show, but is also like a drama, but is also talking about a cartoon. No, but I'm saying that there are these shows that are innovative Mm -hmm. and Twin Peaks might be the most innovative of any show ever. But what I was going for and what I kept going back to was a degree of comfort, which I think television really did provide for most of the beginning of its, most of the first few decades of its existence. What it seems like we're talking about. A nightlight. Yes. And what it seems like we're talking about actually is a, is a, a demarcation that has existed for much of our life, except it used to exist between the TV and the multiplex. Yeah. Where we were comfortable going to the movies for, to be challenged in a limited setting. Mm Mm-hmm. And at, at home, mm-hmm. watching TV, it was generally more about pleasure, comfort, escape. I'm speaking very generally and broadly here, but some of the challenging journeys that I have been thrilled to go on this year on television were limited, and mm-hmm. I knew that going into it. So whether it's Twin Peaks, whether it's The Young Pope, whether it's Top of the Lake uh, 2, or even Godless, if any of those shows were presented to me as... We got 10 hours of this and then 10 more hours next year. Now, obviously, Twin Peaks is a separate case because it's the joy of my life. But even that, even that, it it was, the pleasure was derived from its um, limited nature. Mm -hmm. In terms of the shows that are going to keep going or shows that I discovered this year that I'm eager to keep going with, I think that's correct. I think, um, and we're not going to burn our list today. We're going to do that next Monday. But, But that is an interesting divide to come across. And it speaks to... What I went through on Friday, what my journey was on Friday, I think in a microcosm is what a lot of people experience with TV these days, which is, well, I know that there are these 15 things that I'm supposed to watch or things that I would even enjoy continuing or taking a look at. But the thought of firing up the Apple TV or the smart TV or whatever you're using and then just going through all the options 
is exhausting. It kind of reminds me of the and, way I feel about college basketball, which is that there's not a lot of continuity. Mm-hmm. So basically, when you're always starting something mm-hmm. new, it's impossible to have the same investment in it than you did with something that is been going on for several years even if it's just the hey this actor is now in a new show it's like i there's there's so much stuff to choose from Mm -hmm. right now but the problem with that is is just the volume of new stuff Mm -hmm. makes it difficult to keep up with things like halt like you know even like fargo for me was a challenge because Mm -hmm. it was starting over with a new i i I like the fargo tone already i'm ready to be into fargo it's just like i was like i would just just be fine extending what we've already done you know keep going deeper into the part into a story that we've already covered on Fargo rather than starting again in a new time period with a new setup with a new shot of a frozen tundra yeah and I think that that was something that I reacted to a lot over the course of the year one of the shows that did give me a lot of comfort and I obviously have a lot of mixed feelings about mm-hmm. it now uh given what we know about Kevin Spacey is was season five of House of Cards mm-hmm. I just really I find that they they had hit a point where they just knew how to pace that show and they knew how to make that show and they knew how to make that show wildly entertaining. We just found out today, and this is a little bit of news, is that uh, they're going to bring it back right. for a shortened final ep- eight episode season um, okay. without Kevin Spacey. Right. And that they are create they are working to creatively uh, write him off of the show. I don't know how much creativity you need. Are you familiar with the one panel when Poochie returns to his home planet on The <laughs> Simpsons? I would imagine we're in for something like that. <laughs> I think that that's going to be the template creatively for um, the decisions they're does making. Does this make, you know, do you think that this decision is morally justifiable? Is the right thing to do to be like, you know what, this this project is tainted. Let's put it in the dustbin. The thing that is difficult to square in the light of all of the horror stories that are emerging um, from Hollywood and other industries over the last few weeks and months is the the cost the, the the cost not on victims which cannot be discounted but on people who are working mm-hmm. working people um when this news broke house of cards was about to go into production or perhaps it had even they were started there. they were there in baltimore they were already there yeah. and so you have to think about the sheer number of people who are employed mm-hmm. by this production not just actors of course but local crew um drivers gaffers caterers everyone um when you reduce a series, a season order, you are fucking with everyone's money, you know, and, and that, that, that matters. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they should have continued the show despite his predations and all of that, but they had to balance that and they had to do justice to all the other people because I think that one of the, maybe this is true of all enterprises, but it's certainly true in television in my experience on all sides of it. It is a, very proudly a collaborative medium and very proudly, um, a, you know, a shared experience and a shared effort. And to say that this is a reference, that the entire show is because of one man, one man who is now tainted by his awful behavior, I think it would be a difficult sell for the people who've given so much to the to the entire enterprise. And I say that as someone who's not even a fan of the show. Yeah, and so, I imagine that Robin Wright will be that much more of a focal point this season. Yeah, and it's, you know, not for nothing, but there has been a lot of talk, you know, that people would rather watch the Today Show without Matt Lauer. People like Robin Wright's performance more than Kevin Spacey's performance. I don't think that is revisionist history to say yeah. that she was the one that people were pretty pretty hyped on the last few years. So it's interesting, but as not as someone who hasn't been a fan of the show, just the the, the sheer logistics and gymnastics of making this work is interesting and 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 compelling and I have sympathy for everyone involved, but I I, I just don't know. I, what yeah. what what art comes out of this, you know? Similarly transparent, you know, are they going to continue the show? What is the show? These are all, we've said this before, these are questions for another day, except in terms of House of Cards, that day seems to be. Yeah, it's today. Well, so we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I imagine that season will come on uh, sometime next year. Uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we will be back to talk about the new album from U2. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Using Credible.com's simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you are overpaying on your student loans. You can save thousands by refinancing. All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash watch, answer a few questions, and right away you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates, from multiple lenders. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. And for a limited time, 
Watch listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash watch. That's Credible.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And... It is delivered right to your door in a small, how did they do that size box with free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. The best part is that you can be sure of your purchase because Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial. After all, you spend a third of your life sleeping, you should be comfortable. I love my Casper mattress. We use it as a guest room mattress for any number of visitors who come through. Wow. Yeah. Maybe if I came over and had too many LaCroix if they waters. Have any, any on-the-run money launderers. Just happen to pass through? They can just hit the Casper. You are generous. No, it's a, great, it's a great mattress, and the convenience of its delivery cannot be overstated. Mm. Part of the overwhelming part about mattress shopping, aside from the fact that you're doing it for like 15 minutes, and then you're like, I don't know, I guess I'm making this decision, is it comes in a box, check it out, you can sleep on it for a while, and if it works for you, you keep it. If not, send it back. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash watch and using watch at checkout. That's casper.com slash watch offer code watch for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. talk about you too andy you two put out an album on friday which yeah. you know their 14th 14th album it's called songs of experience mm. it is the companion album in some ways to songs of innocence which was the infamous album that showed up on everybody's iphone yes uh, this show this this album shows up for free on everyone's zune <laughs> it's just immediately um whereas that that songs of innocence was an album that was largely inspired by their childhood in ireland songs of experience was supposed to come out, I think, the same year as Songs of Innocence. Yeah. And they were like, we're really just, we're cooking right now. I, I find that no one ever actually delivers when they're like, we're really cooking right now. There's another album on the way. Something oh. always happens. Well, also. And it, even if it does happen, it didn't need to. You it's know? weird. I was going to begin by saying how strange it was to see a band like U2 so obviously flop sweating their way towards what they felt needed to be a major statement and yeah. a major hit. Yeah. Um, but this happened 20 years ago with Pop, too, which was delayed mm-hmm. and sucked. And Pop was supposed to be a companion piece to Zeropa? No, it was just like it was just delayed multiple times while they were like, we don't have the hit songs yet. We yeah, don't have and the they vision. Have, they've kind of since I think since Zeropa, their line is kind of we're back to save rock, you know, over. And, well, I think they've multiple times made that. Well, case. The, the, the big one was um all that you can't leave behind. With Beautiful Day, yes. they said we are back. We're we're back to audition for the the, the open job position, of the job of best rock band, rock band in the world, world yeah. which was yeah. great marketing, great timing, and pretty good album, great song, yeah. and, it, and it and it and it paid off. Um, it's weird. So anyway, I was going to say it was weird to see you two doing this because we think of you two as this canonical rock group. Why are they going through this same very public? struggle like like Katy Perry did where it was just like no these singles aren't working well, let's keep reworking be, it let's keep reworking it oh the album's a turkey and yet to their credit I mean they were also like the world changed while we were sort sure. of putting the finishing touches on this record and it made us reassess what it was going to be about so uh, that's what sure. you, that's I mean what that's their media. that's but, their line but I think the bigger point is and I think this sort of informs the conversation we want to have about them um this is always what U2 has been you two, and I think there's a really great review of this record on Pitchfork that puts it in, that's out today, that, that puts this kind of in context, that strips some of the mythology away from the band, whatever mythology was left after the last 10 years or so of, of public. What's the last public, U2 record that you liked? Did you a, like a, a No Line on flaring. the Horizon? Or? But, but just to say that they have kind of always been a weather vane for the popular sentiment and almost spins that, even though it's a mostly mixed and negative review, spins that as a positive about the band. One of the reasons why they have persisted as a band making mm-hmm. new records. Because here's the thing. They go on tour. They're the highest grossing tour for that year. They can be a jukebox tour act easily. And they could have 20 years ago, too. Among all the bands in that 
stratosphere. They're the they're I think the only remaining one that insists on grabbing the microphone and saying, "No, no, we have something more to say." Yeah, and but, I think that they think they've talked about how no matter what is sort of in vogue at the time, and they they sometimes pull hammies trying to make their sound kind of fit whatever they think is yeah. the hip sound at the time. I know that uh, in the Pitchfork review, they compared a couple, one song on on Songs of Experience to XX, and I, I don't know that it really sounds like the XX, but the point is well taken that I'm sure someone passed the James, you know, the way the, the Jamie XX solo record. The way the them. chorus works on You're the Best Thing About Me, which is a weirdly tepid single. Yeah from a band that would always have barn burners as singles, the way the chorus... There's, I, I am not a musicologist. I cannot describe this appropriately. I haven't been a critic in a long time. But it spreads out and spells out in the same way that uh, Coldplay has figured out how to do it, in the same way that the Chainsmokers schedule their yes. choruses yes. in a way to sound equally okay on any number of devices. You know, I think they, that is the kind of thinking they put into this record. You asked the last one I liked. I mean, I think all the... All That You Can't Leave Behind was probably the last good record. There were three or four good songs on how to dismantle an atomic bomb, and it's been downhill ever since. Right. And No Line on the Horizon was the last one that they made with Eno and Lanois, who were the producers behind their sort of, you know, the, the canonical U2 albums. And, and that produced the, the classic track Fez slash Being well, Born. Well, also produced the classic narrative of we made this in, in like a Moroccan, oh, you yeah. know, like shed somewhere in, in Northern Africa. The, the narrative matters for this band. but I but, like that. I like the fact that these guys give us something to talk about. You know, I think that that is noticeable in Radiohead's sort of late period is mm-hmm. that Radiohead is sort of, if you keep saying we can't take the scrutiny mm-hmm. or the scrutiny is driving us nuts mm-hmm. for long enough, people will listen and stop paying attention in the same way that they mm-hmm. did when you were the the pulse of yes, the, pop culture. The, the, the please turn off the cameras, like don't invade our personal space narrative runs a little dry when people don't really want to put the cameras yeah, on. Yeah, it turns out that like if you want to if you, you don't have to wonder how to disappear without being seen. I mean, you can just do it. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you could it, stop writing songs that sound like you want to take over the world. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think YouTube's ever stopped doing that. The only difference is and I guess this is shots, but it's the only difference is now they're working with Ryan Tedder from One Republic yeah. to try and figure out how to do it, that. There has always been a crazy amount of thirst to this band. Um I mean, go back 30 years to their quote-unquote classic period, and they're the band that was like, we're going to hire a movie director to film us going to Memphis. Yeah, they're the band who was like, "What Echo? why don't we just take what Echo and the Bunnymen do? Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not trying to reduce it to that level, but they essentially took what Echo and the Bunnymen did and said, but what if we did it using the language of Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, what, if- what if we did it using this, this sort of like... Everybody collectively can understand a sentiment like in the name of love. You yeah. Know? And also to be like, we're the most important American band after 9-11, even though we're from Ireland. Right. And I don't even mean that. Right. To be, they kind of were. Um, Let's talk of, about this record. Well, I can't, do you want to talk about the record? Or do you want to talk context? So there's one other context thing that I want to say, which is we work with a bunch of kids here. <laughs> and these kids... Literally don't know anything about this band. And I'm not saying you should, because that's kind of boring to like go do your like old white band homework. Sure. But this is one of those moments when we can we can sing our own songs of experience, Chris. And I think it's important to convey to people the the, the size, the weight, the heft on culture, of the footprint that these this band put on culture. In 1987, we were 10 years old. Joshua Tree comes out, and it. I imagine this was like, in one of the last examples of this, what it was like in the 60s or 70s, like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, where it's like, this band is back. Mm-hmm. They have made something that is perfection and quote-unquote important with things to say, and they, they are astride the culture like a colossus. And then to come back with a quote-unquote dark record and, like, scuff up their hair and wear leather and, like, go to Berlin and make Octung Baby, which is a perfect yeah. record. It's one of the best albums of the 90s. It's one of the best albums in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. It is unimpeachable. The importance of that is it, it's very hard to convey a rock band doing that, but then it's also pretty remarkable to, to, to say that, okay, so nine years after Octung Baby, they could say, oh, we're back to audition for the role of rock band and then do Beautiful Day and do it again. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they had this long of a run is is truly remarkable. Um, the thirst and, and, is important and, and, because but, I think that the, the thirst thing, 
One of the reasons why Octong Baby is so relevant and so resonant with so many people is that I think that unlike, say, Prince or Bowie, but specifically Prince in terms of that generation of 80s and, and 90s artists, you 2 never really set the agenda with the exception of Octung Baby. You know, e- even their with, records with, that... With, uh, that record basically turned off the lights on the 80s and opened up the 90s. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and was probably their most deeply felt and creative record, I thought. Um, yeah. I, I think that they have superficially, like, more emotion on other albums, but there is a lot more going on Look, on Octung Baby. They, like all of us, were deeply affected by the promise of a financially unified Europe. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I remember when that record Bono came out called and then like Zuropa. And yeah. I was like, oh man, Europe's going to be lit this decade. <laughs> I got to like, get to Berlin. I could get a train pass and go from <laughs> Germany to Switzerland. Oh my God. Like this stuff mattered back then in a way that is really hard to convey. But the pitchfork. But they've were, always been good at mixing the old and the new. They were an archetypal band of like the long haired front man who was the poet and the guitar genius side man. Mm-hmm. They were. Um, very what, about, what about the lascivious bassist? You don't want to throw that guy in there? <laughs> what about the, ba- the drummer with Tiger Woods-level back issues? <laughs> Seriously. That is one of the low-key things about Larry Mullen Jr., who is, I, I really have a lot of time for as a drummer, yeah. is that he is in incredible amounts of pain all the time. All the time. Yeah. He has, like, titanium-enforced And he has, spine. like, a special drummer's chair that he has to sit in because yeah. I don't understand how he can tour this much. Like, if my back seizes up a little bit, I'm like, I don't think I can podcast today. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because that's where you derive your strength from. Like, like drummers, it all comes from the, the lower back. Do you have anything uh, of, of well, note to say about this album I itself? Do. I, I did just want to make one other point that I appreciated from the, the Pitchfork review, which is that basically it, it manages to articulate something that I think has been tough to say, which is you two, we are about to criticize the new album to some degree, but it's tough to criticize a band for still wanting it so badly. Mm-hmm. When the much easier thing to do would be to mail it in. They just did it. They went and played Joshua Tree, and Rob Harvilla called it, like, the best concert he went to in 2017. They they are still certainly worth seeing live. And they have such a diverse, interesting catalog. They could go play medium-sized arenas and only play B-sides, and it would sell out. They could go— You mean I could get my lady with a spinning head fix? I knew you were going to say that. I would love that. But the new record, look, you know— I'll say this. I I am not mad— at uh, long pause <laughs> as I scroll back up to the Larry Mullen Jr. I'm not mad at Red roll. Flag Day. At which one? Red Flag Day. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's a U2 record in 2017. I'm not even mad at Landlady. Is that weird? It's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> weird. How do you feel about the Kendrick feature? Well, yeah, and how do you feel about the Heim feature? It's I I, I it, it's tough because part of me wants to ding them because they have always been dingable. Like that's the thing about this band that they existed through the 90s. I remember um, one of my best indie rock buddies from college just always carried the flag for you too, even when the point of rock and roll, according to us, and you were like this too in the 90s, was to record it on a four track with an out of tune guitar. The whole point was to get as quote unquote authentic or as small or as intimate as possible. But he was still like, he was like squinting. And saying, like, you know, the song, the Playboy Mansion off of Pop has its moments, you know? That that was the thing about Octane Baby. It's worth mentioning that that was, from that until, like, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is probably the highlight of my radio listening life. Yeah, it's... Because I I did love, obviously, like, my my love of music only grew exponentially as Mm -hmm. I got older and then stopped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Dead Um, stop. But from, you know, around 91 to 95 you had these stations especially in, in philly i think we had like eagle 106 we had q102 wdre was q102 uh pop it was pop you're so, thinking of 103.9 wdre thank you uh that would play five six seven songs deep off mm-hmm. of an album even mm-hmm. if they weren't singles they'd be like man everybody wants to hear porch yeah. you know so we're gonna play that off of pearl jam so th- that was what was so great about octane baby was people they were playing ultraviolet you know they were playing um i mean i don't know if they were playing acrobat but they were playing songs Go, going deep it's so it's weird now to be at this place with a band and just be like ah these two songs yeah and we'll probably never hear from this album again well i was thinking about this i i wonder why i feel like this is under i don't know if it's underreported but i don't feel like we, we think about it often this way why someone like tom petty could r.i.p could continue to make songs that weren't i'm not going to make the case that highway companion like was necessarily relevant to yeah. the culture at large um, but continue to make good music that felt true to him. And obviously he is completely unique in a lot of ways in that 
he and Prince as well and Bowie like they were singular visions They're, they knew what they were good at and they took chances but they always stayed pretty true to the spine of what they did mm-hmm. but I think that there's a difference because the thing about a band that makes a band interesting as a construct is the friction and the chemistry of the reaction when you put these people together and the idea of what Bono thinks is good can you imagine Bono on his own I mean it would be horrific but Bono tempered by the instincts of the other guys makes sense. Yeah, and I think but, that this band working with different collaborators, I think they... Well, that's why I, they keep reaching out. Yeah, but and I, I think that Eno and Lanois gave them a certain gravitas and a certain creativity yes. that they didn't necessarily have inherently. And artistic bonafides. And I kind of feel like Tedder and Jack Lee are like sandpapering the edges a little bit too yes, much. but I also think that after 40 years, and this happens after 20 years mm-hmm. often, but after 40 years, whatever frictions existed that sparked But you're asking why don't they just have a moon-shaped pool? No, like, I'm why saying, don't they just put out a record that's no, like no, 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 pretty not, good? No, I'm saying they can't. A band fundamentally right. Right. loses its spark because it becomes about recreating something that existed between people as opposed to one person in charge, basically, mm-hmm. following his or her own muse throughout a longer career. I think bands... Oh, interesting. Bands just naturally peter out. I think also bands you, become incorporated. Bands it, bands yes. become... The it, reason to it, still be in U2 is to give U2 fans a good time when they want to spend $200 to go see the next I don't think that's the reason for Bono. I think oh, he's no. still... Well, I would say... I don't think that Bono doesn't want to be at the center of a 60,000-person <laughs> arena. He does. I think he does. But I think that playing the part of Bono is more important to him than being Bono. Yes, and I think that if you look at Octung Baby, um, and as you know, I have a very deep conspiracy theory about why Octung Baby is good that maybe I'll share on our podcast after dark one day um, <laughs> to avoid the it's, podcast. You, you've done this before. We cut it out of the last time we did it. Did we really? It was too litigious. I have a theory, though, guys. When we do a live show, I will blow Nobody your mind. Nobody in the control room has ever even heard of you two. I don't think it's that litigious. <laughs> Strong point. Anyway... <laughs> Octung Baby, they went to East Berlin. Yes. And they locked themselves in a in a in an apartment building and drove Trabants or whatever the hell they were doing. And they were like, we are not coming out of here until we are affected or feel something. Mm-hmm. After that point, anytime they got together, they were living all over the world, they were having different lives. Anytime after that, it's a different age of the band, a different era of the band. They got together in Saint Tropez to write a hit, which is just gonna produce something differently. Sometimes it's gonna produce a hit, sometimes it's not. Yeah. But the arc of bands always goes this way. So it's, I think maybe the important thing, instead of like dinging this album, is to be like, it's kind of interesting that we're still even talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Obviously, none of our producers are inter- interested in us talking about it. Are many, it. many, many. We have more producers than you 2 does. Well, Jackknife Lee is adding a nice tone <laughs> to my voice. It was nice that he was available. I always like it when Do Ryan Tedder comes in and puts that Counting Stars melody on your, your, your track. You want to drop a top five? Yeah, should we do our own, or should we try to come to consensus? I think that our consensus is just take Octung Baby and put it on shuffle and you're fine. But now we'll do our own. Do our own list. I think we have Sh- by the way, shout- we both have the same number one. Shouts to Sam Donsky at Dance Remix who did this in August with a with a take that was I thought so fire, I'm, and then I, I realized it's very sweet that you're making him sound like uh, Meriwether Lewis, just being like, he, "I'm the first to no, say no, two, but, top five." But he did songs. a top five U two, <laughs> yeah, and I, I looked know. at it, and at first the the the, the flame from the take scorched my retinas, sure, and then I was like, "Oh no, the the the, the truest flame burns the brightest." I think his is very good. I but, think you and right. I have both have the same number one. No, I don't think so. Okay, my number one's where the streets have no name. My number one is so cruel. so cruel. Just like Donsky. Okay. Uh, what's your number two? Ultraviolet, Light My Way, from Octung Baby. Uh, mine is uh, Stay Far Away, So Close. Oh, that's such a good song. Yeah, from Zeropa. Guys, Zeropa was supposed to be a throwaway, right? It was just like the, we're still on tour and we have extra stuff. But the inspiration was so good. Zach, <laughs> Zach Mack, imagine that. Imagine making the, one of the greatest albums in rock history and being like, we're just going to churn out 10 more tracks, Johnny Cash feature and a spoken word from our guitarist, and it's going to be good. Imagine. What's your number three? Bad. Oh. Remember Bad? Dun, 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 dun. It's a slow burn. Do you like the live version? Do I like the live version? What, what, it was is, a, is it studio or live, Do you go? I, I have studio, but let me tell you, the feeling of seeing them play Bad in 1991 in the open air of Veterans Stadium, RIP in Philadelphia... That still speaks to my. Speaks to me. I was fourteen years old. It speaks to me. 
Um, you know, a lot of people. Oh boy, uh, this is going to be a take. Say one. You know that that's the that's their it, it, well, that's, that's their the, their big that's their ballot. that's their standard. A lot of people yeah. like with or without you. Who are these straw men you're talking about? This is. I know that this song is probably cornier than mm-hmm. both of those, mm-hmm. but I'm going All I Want Is You. Wow. Yeah, from Rattle and Hum. Wow. That is a that is a slow dance. Yeah. That is so so that's Tell me about it. That's if you know what I'm <laughs> saying. Look at this lucky yeah. camera right now. Are there any middle school hearts you want to apologize for breaking? Uh you know, we we kept three feet distance as were as, was the rules of Quaker Quaker school dances, but I, it, that was a very moving soundtrack to my my early romance. I have not praised much about Stranger Things season two, but I thought the the accuracy of the eighties dance yeah. at the end was was really well done. Because I, I was told, I was taught by my peers that the correct way to dance was the arms full extension. Like you were not allowed to bend your elbows. What's your number four? By the way, that's still how I dance. <laughs> just 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 so you know. Where the streets have no name. Isn't that the number one? That was your number one. Oh, that was one. my number one. Okay. But by the way, Put on Where the Streets Have No Name, like, just to get us hype in the studio. Zach Mack said, isn't this a beautiful day? Which, kind of, yes. <laughs> it is a beautiful yes. day. For your I generation. I am going with uh, Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses mm. Temple Bar Remix. Talk, talk to me about the Temple Bar. Just a little bit of, like, it sounds a little bit more like New Order. Mm. You yeah, know, a little it's just, scuzzier. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Uh, what's your number five? The Fly. Like, I just like Octung Baby a lot. I'm going to go with uh, Seconds. Just want to throw out an early, mm. early jam. I think that's from, from War. Yeah, I had I Will Follow on my list because nice. I really like Strident. These are great bands. First single. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite U2 album? Is it Octung or is yeah. it Joshua? No, it's Octung Baby. Like, I, I think Joshua Tree was important, which has hampered it in, in the years since. And actually, one of the things that's interesting about the band as an act of, like, positive concern is that mm-hmm. every tour they reinvent Bullet the Blue Sky. Oh, yeah. Because that is a very strident song. Yeah. And then they found ways to deconstruct it and comment very on it. Very big use in uh, the trailer to Peter Berg's The Kingdom. Great. Oh, well, you're a big fan of that. <laughs> I actually am not, I'm not mad at that. There movie. is an argument to be made that we will not make now. Maybe we'll make it on my after hours hyper litigious. <laughs> Here's what Bono was really Bono up to. Bono After Dark, yeah. Podcast. But their version, like it, it, when I talked about the 80s going to the 90s, it's Joshua Tree to, to Octung Baby for me culturally and I think on the radio and on MTV as well sure. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, also more, the level more, of like irony and self-awareness that was, they correct. were obviously very self-aware during the Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum era, yeah. so much so that they made a movie about it. Yeah. But that almost imploded and it became this kind of ironic performance art on Octung Baby and Zeropa. Which didn't age that well for the Bono next five or six walking years. Around with a camcorder in his face, being what they showed on screen. Mac Fisto. Yeah, <laughs> but they, but 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 those. But for six or seven years, when the '90s were like in full full flower, mm-hmm. U2's version of it was like, oh, they're posers. They're they're dancing around with irony, but they're still ma- you know charging forty dollars a ticket or whatever. But everybody was performing, and I feel like in some ways, when they are still trying to make a relevant record, when they are in their seventies. They are the truth of rock and roll. Yeah. You know, and I mean that in, in, in all senses. We, when we talked to Joe Hagen about the Jan Wenner book, which I hope people have been checking out and reading, one of the great things about that book and about his perspective on it was de-romanticizing something that maybe has gotten a little too stultified and romantic about rock and roll. That there was, that for 10 or 15 years, there was something pure and incredible. And then the marketers came in and ruined it all. When you see, they always knew. I mean, there's yeah. always, that has always been part of it. And U2's ability to be earnest and then also be just ruthlessly capitalist mm-hmm. makes them a pretty great poster child. They made for, everybody get their last album. For rock and roll. Like, they gave it, well, yeah, right, they quote unquote gave it they to gave us. It it's away. like, they cannot bear not to be the biggest. And that is a trait that I, that I, I honestly, I wish more bands had. Just a little bit of housekeeping. So Thursday, we have a special episode where we're going to be joined by Lady Bird's Laurie Metcalf. I think, frankly, future Oscar winner from Lady Bird, Laurie Metcalf. I, that, I'm actually going to give her the Oscar when she does the pod. I think that's terrific. Uh, if you haven't seen Lady Bird, I think it might be our consensus movie of the year. Mm-hmm. So you should check that out. Uh, that'll be Thursday. And then we have pretty much end of year stuff. We've got a year in TV pod coming next week. With our special year in TV guest. Maybe that, we won't name him, but people well, know. We could. We, we, we won't name him, but people know. Yeah. Is it Bono? It's Bono. He's really mad. I love 
Ozark, sir. Uh, and then we'll be doing yeah. So you're in you're in TV next week. We also will before holidays we have will, Megan Abbott on. We'll have Megan Abbott back on to talk about Queen Pin and her book Mindhunter. and to close out Mindhunter, which yeah. I'm sure people have closed out by now. But I think that'll be a nice. The kid closed it out. Nice to have your boy. Yeah, <laughs> your boy, Young Ozarks. <laughs> Do you think you? Like, I need you to finish Ozark because let me tell you something. It jumps up a notch. I just want to talk about life lessons. Like, do you feel now uh-huh. you could successfully run a summertime lake-based boat business? Like, could you do that? Do no. you feel like you've learned enough no, about the blue I would be too scared lab? about getting electrocuted. Great point. Could you successfully launder money for not the not, not the cartel, not a cartel, but for Isai Morales personally? Like, if Zach Mack was like, launder this 20 bucks, I right. could do it. Launder this 20 bucks so I can buy a clean... I need to buy more tea. I need to buy a clean copy. The tea guys are really nervous about where my money's coming from. I need to buy a clean copy of The Unforgettable Fire. (laughs) Because you guys have blown my mind about 80s. I gotta check these YouTube guys out. Yeah. I'm gonna go down to Sam Goody and buy a cassette. (laughs) All right. uh, Until next time, uh, I'm Chris Ryan. How happy did I make you today, really? Pretty pretty jazzed. You're pretty excited. All right. This is what we do. We we bring joy to people's lives. Goodbye, Baranskis! You did it. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Using Credible.com's simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. And you could save thousands by refinancing. All you have to do is visit Credible.com watch, answer a few questions, and right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates from multiple lenders. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 the life of their loan and for a limited time watch listeners will get $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through credible.com slash watch that's credible.com slash watch Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by Mack Weldon with a smart design premium fabrics and a simple shopping experience. Mack Weldon underwear is better than anything you're currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts they are, that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Mack Weldon is actually just phenomenal underwear, guys. And you, if you're listening to this podcast, get new underwear. I don't you just you treat yourself, treat someone in your life. Go to MacWeldon.com because when you go there and you use promo code Watch, you're going to get twenty percent off your purchase. So I don't really know what else I can do to sell you this underwear. MacWeldon.com, twenty percent off your first purchase. Promo code Watch.